Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Uh, you know, uh, this is the day eight. We finished our first week of our 21 days of prayer. And uh, in years past, we've done that by meeting here at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, together and uh, praying for an hour. And this year, we're doing it as a podcast. And so we're doing it, uh, actually, you can find it on our Rockbrook Church app or our website at uh, rockbrook.org forward slash prayer. And uh, Pastor Ryland has been putting together a morning devotional for us. I've really enjoyed this past week. The one this morning was really awesome. If you haven't heard it yet, I'd really encourage you to jump in there and listen to the one today. We've been having over 200 listens on our podcast every day. I don't know how many people that translates to because a lot of times people listen to it together or as a family. But uh, we're having a great response on that. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. And you can enjoy 14 days of prayer and uh, fasting. If, uh, if you jump in at this point. Uh, we're in a series called The Benefits of Being Stuck. And it's based on the premise that there are times, even seasons in life, where we feel stuck. Uh, we feel like we're not moving forward. We're, we're not making progress. Uh, we're, we're stopped. We're stymied. We're, we're stuck. And typically, when we're stuck, uh, we think that's a bad thing. Uh, we think of it as a hard season in life. We don't like to be uh, stopped and stymied. We went onward, forward, upward, uh, not stuck. But the Bible offers us a different perspective on being stuck. Uh, There are several passages in Scripture that that I call process passages. Uh, They they describe the process of spiritual growth that God uses to make us mature in Christ. And one example of a process passage is found in in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. Let's read this out loud together. We also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. You see that? There's a process that God takes us through. Suffering produces perseverance, produces character, produces hope. And once you see these kind of verses, you'll, you'll begin to notice them throughout, uh, throughout Scripture. And typically, a process passage will start out with a negative situation, a, a suffering, trial, testing, persecution, being stuck, which leads to a growth step. We, we make a conscious choice, a decision for perseverance, patience, endurance, steadfastness. We decide we're going to stay the course, which has a profound effect on our character. It it makes us more like Jesus Christ. And that brings a positive result. Hope, heaven, a reward, a breakthrough. And so over over again in Scripture, we see that process. We get stuck. We learn to persevere. That changes our character And that leads us to hope. And that process uh, is a theme uh, that we see throughout the book of James. It's like a thread that runs through the book of James. The the book of James is written to people whose lives had been turned upside down by persecution. They were in a very difficult season, really on every level. Spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, relationally. 
In other words, they were stuck. And maybe you showed up here today and you feel stuck spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, or relationally, or maybe all of them. <laughs> and James is writing to encourage these people with principles for persevering through tough times. And he doesn't address their suffering uh, specifically by issue. In fact, he just says that they're facing many kinds of trials. Because suffering comes in, in many different forms and situations. And it doesn't matter what your area of suffering is. The process is the same. The principles of dealing with it are the same. That's one of the powerful, powerful things that we've learned in our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Is we've learned it doesn't matter what your hurt, habit, or hang-up is. The biblical principles for dealing with it are the same. The biblical principles that Christ teaches us are, 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 are where our hope comes from in regards to our suffering, regardless of what the suffering is. So I want to encourage you. I, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're experiencing, but I'd encourage you right now just to stop and, and write on your outline next to that verse, just write down the suffering, the trial, the persecution, the difficulty that you're facing. In what area of your life do you feel stuck? Name it. Identify it. Write it down. And then we're going to bring the principles of God's Word to bear on that situation and see what happens. Now James knew that, that hope is essential during tough times. Human beings can handle an enormous amount of frustration and delays, even pain, as long as they feel that there's hope. Anyone who's ever been to the dentist understands that, okay? You know, I just, I, I just hope that at some point he's gonna stop drilling. And that hope gets me through it. But when hope is gone, people give up. They give up. Because hope is essential to your spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, relational health. A cardiologist said, hope is the medicine I use more than any other. Another doctor said, if you lead a person to believe there's no hope, you drive another nail in his coffin. A doctor said, hope fosters physical and emotional health. Hopelessness shortens your life. As long as you have hope, you can keep holding on even when you're stuck. And because perseverance builds your character, you can actually make progress when you're stuck because you're becoming more like Christ. So how do I hold on to hope when, when the news doesn't seem to be getting any better? Uh, Paul in Romans 5.3 and James uh, in chapter 1 verse 2 both tell us that hope is based on knowledge. Hope is based on knowledge. It's what you know that gives you hope. If you don't know what God has said, you're going to feel pretty hopeless. So James gives us seven sources of hope when you're stuck. Seven promising truths that God's given us so we will know the source of hope so we can make it through. So let's look at number one. On your notes, on the screen, we have hope because we know the difficulties won't last. We have hope because we know the difficulties won't last. We won't be stuck forever. 
One of the great phrases in the Bible is the phrase, and it came to pass. 560 times in the Bible it says, and it came to pass. You know, sometimes we feel like we're stuck and not moving forward, but that's really an illusion. Because the truth is, we are always moving forward toward the goal that God has set for us. And so when, you're, when you feel like you're stuck, but you're persevering and it's making you become more like Jesus Christ, that's tremendous movement. You know, no matter what difficult circumstance or complex problem you're facing, we need to remember it's temporary. No problem comes to stay, it comes to pass. Even if it's a lifelong chronic problem, you're not going to take it into eternity with you. It didn't come to stay, it came to pass. And when we understand that our problems are temporary, they become more manageable. People can handle a lot if they know there's an end to it. And so James reminds us in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 10, in the message paraphrase, says, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, they went through everything, they never once quit all the time honoring God. The Old Testament prophets knew that difficult times are not permanent. They're temporary, they're momentary, they're transitory. They were coming to pass. They wouldn't last. So when you get stuck, what do you do? You look beyond your circumstances. You focus on the eternal. You live in the light of eternity. Now what does that mean practically for us in our day? Let me give you a little tip. Stop watching so much news, okay? Just stop watching so much news and start reading your Bible more. I mean, that's definitely going to improve your attitude and it'll increase your hope. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. You know, everything you see around you is material. The buildings, the trees, the animals, the people, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, everything out there is material. And because it's material, it will decay, rust, rot, fall apart, burn out, and die. All of it. All of it. It's the things in the universe that you can't see. It's the immaterial things, the invisible things, the spiritual things that are going to last forever. You can't see what's going to last forever. If you want to increase your hope, you've got to change your perspective. And you've got to stop thinking that being stuck is a negative, and you've got to start thinking about being stuck as an opportunity for spiritual growth. Things are happening beyond your circumstances. You know, don't look at being stuck as the final result. Look at being stuck as a temporary situation that offers you eternal results. You know, if you respond to being stuck correctly, it'll develop your character and offer you hope and heaven and even a reward. So you can have hope because the difficult times won't last. Second reason you can have hope when you're stuck. Number two, because we know God will use it for our good. We know God will use it for our good. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know, and there it is, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the good that God is doing in your life when you're stuck. He's helping you fully develop your patience, your endurance, your steadfastness, so that you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Now, you may not feel that you're growing in strength when you're stuck. In fact, if you're stuck, you probably feel tired, worn out, and depleted. But later, you'll look back and see how all of this has changed you, how it's helped you grow stronger, it helped you develop spiritual muscle. You know, I've told you before, the purpose of this life is to prepare you for eternity. This life is the preparation stage. This life is the boot camp. It's the warm-up act. It's the dress rehearsal for eternity. You're here for less than 100 years. You will be there forever. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Circle that word, achieving. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Being stuck is a productive season. It helps you achieve what God wants you to truly achieve in your life. And it, it, what you achieve there is going to far outweigh the suffering that you endure here. You know, you get to heaven, you're going to see God was using those tough times for my good and for my growth. So we have hope because we know the difficulties are temporary. We have hope because we know God's going to use them for good. Third reason we have hope is because we know that getting irritated doesn't help. Getting irritated doesn't help. You know, has getting upset or distraught or distressed or angry about this pandemic or anything else in your life that you can't change, has it ever been helpful? It's not helpful. It just makes you and everyone else around you miserable. And one of the things that grieves me during this season here in our country is people today are just more and more angry. They're mad at the government. They're mad at the medical experts. They're mad at people who won't wear a mask. They're mad at people who wear a mask. They're mad at work. They're mad at school. They're mad at their family. They're, they're just mad. We've lost our sense of humor. We've lost our sense of humor. Did you hear the joke about the funny late night host? Me either. Okay. James 1:19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger will never achieve God's righteous purpose. If you look in, the, in these process verses, it, it, you know, it calls us to perseverance, steadfastness, patience. You know, we are called to be patient. And I'll tell you, patience is not a natural human response. It, patience is not a natural human response. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It takes God's work in your life to help you to be patient. And that's why you grow when you do that. Getting angry, irritated, uh, upset, it, it, it never helps. And so uh, when you get stuck, especially, we tend to take our frustrations out on the people who are closest to us. Uh, you know, especially if you're home all the time and never get a break from each other. 
That's why James 5, 9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. He says, this is serious. This angry, irritated grumbling that's going on, this is serious. God is going to judge this. The judge is standing at the door. And so if you've been guilty of grumbling and complaining, listen, this pandemic, it's not your kid's fault. It's not your wife or husband's fault. You know, you got to recognize it doesn't help the situation. It just robs you and everyone else of your joy and your hope. I love the book of James because James just nails it time and time again. He understands human nature. He understands how irritable we get when we're stuck. It's common to all of us. But James also points out, listen, it doesn't help. It just depletes the energy you need to persevere. You know, anger is a setback. We don't want that. Fourth source of hope when you're stuck. Because we know trusting God pleases him. You know, when you trust God when you're stuck, it makes God smile. It makes God happy. God, I I trust that you know what's best for me. I believe you're good. You're going to take care of me. That makes God smile. And James gives us a classic example of trusting God without knowing the advanced details of what's going to happen. And that's the example of Abraham. God, God often asked Abraham to put up with lousy circumstances without having all these questions answered. And God told Abraham to pack up and move and didn't even tell him where he was moving to. He just said, Abraham, pack up, start moving. I'll tell you where to stop. I'll tell you when you're there. And God uh, told Abraham that he was going to have a son, that Abraham was going to become the father of a multitude. And God told him that when Abraham and Sarah were too old to have kids. God told Abraham when he finally had a son, God told him, I want you to take that son up to the top of Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. When God had promised him a multitude of descendants. And every time Abraham trusted God without having the answers to his questions. Abraham didn't know when, where, why, or how God was going to work in his life. But he believed that God was good and he trusted him. James 2.23, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Because Abraham trusted God when he didn't have all the answers. God accepted him as righteous and called Abraham his friend. Do you like to be God's friend? Would you like to have that kind of relationship with God, that kind of deeply personal relationship with God? Well, then do what Abraham did. Trust God with your life. You know, in our day, specifically, it means trusting in God's Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. You become a friend of God by trusting Christ with your life. That can give us hope. Number five. We can have hope because we know Jesus is coming back someday. Jesus is coming back someday. Jesus promised to come back. It's a promise. And he promised to come back and make everything right. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to deal with every injustice. He's going to settle every score. And then he's going to take us to heaven to be with him. Jesus promised to come back. And now the question is, when? When is Jesus coming back? 
But Jesus told us, he says, nobody knows. Nobody knows but God. Jesus said, I don't know. The angels don't know. None of you know. Only God knows when Jesus is coming back. And if anybody tells you the date that Jesus is coming back, they're mistaken. Because he said, nobody knows except God the Father. But we do know this. Every day his coming is closer than the day before. Okay? And when he returns, he's going to judge those who've rejected him, and he's going to reward those who've trusted him. And so James says, when you start getting discouraged about being stuck, when it starts looking like the bad guys are winning, remember James 5.8. says, be patient, stay steady and strong, because the Lord could arrive at any time. You know, the Bible calls the return of Christ our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. And any other person, place, or thing that you put your hope in is going to let you down. But you put your hope in the return of Christ, that there is an eternal reward waiting for those who look forward to Christ's return. It's a source of hope. Two final reasons for hope. Number six, we can have hope because we know this is not the end of the story. Uh, you know, what's going on right now, this is not the end of the story. We're still in the middle of the novel. The, the final chapter has not happened yet. We're, we're still in the middle of the story, and the middle of the story is always messy. The middle of the story is confusing, perplexing, it's unclear. Frankly, that's what makes the story interesting. You know, if you've figured out the story by the middle, what's the purpose of the rest of the book? Okay? Right now, Everything seems uncertain. Work, school, church, politics, the future, they're all uncertain. You know, everybody's asking, when are things going to get back to normal? Well, what if they never do? You know, what if things never go back to the way they were before? I, I love books, movies, and TV shows with plot twists. You know, where there's, there's that, that something happens, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. You know, like in the sixth sense, when you see the wedding ring drop and roll across the floor, or when they shot old Yeller. Yeah. Or, or when baby Yoda is named Grogu. I mean, really. Okay. And so I love, I love plot twists and surprises in, in books and movies. But I'm not wild about plot twists and surprises in my own life. Okay? What do you do when you don't know what's coming next? What, what, if, what if it never gets back to normal? What if 2021 is worse than 2020? What do you do then? Well, you don't put your hope in yourself. You don't put your hope in your job. You don't put your hope in politics. You don't put your hope in Facebook and Google. You put your hope in God. This is not the end of the story. James reminds us how everything fell apart in Job's life. But at the end of the story, God came through. James 5.11, the message paraphrase. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. Look at that. If you stay the course, life is a gift. You've heard of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. God brought it all together for Job at the end because he had staying power, and he made it to the end. And read that last sentence with me. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. 
God did that for Job, and God will do that for you. God cared about every detail in Job's life, and God cares about every detail in your life. And if you trust him with all the details in your life, you can look forward to the end of your story, no matter how messy it's been in the middle. Finally, James gives us one more reason for hope when we feel stuck. Number seven, because we know we will be rewarded. We will be rewarded. God clearly promises over and over again in Scripture that he will reward our faith and hope in him if we trust in him when we're stuck. If you're in a season where you feel stuck and you are persevering, you are patiently, steadfastly trusting in Christ, you are racking up rewards in heaven like cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. The start of his book, James 1.12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive, and here's the reward, the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, that's the reward. It's a life in eternity that God has promised to those who stand the test. Eternal rewards in heaven that you will enjoy forever and ever. And honestly, right now, our minds cannot imagine what God has in store for us in heaven. You know, I love the song, I Can Only Imagine, but, but what's interesting about it is, is that, you know, they just give you six or seven options of things that might happen there, because they don't have a clue what's going to happen, okay? You know, what the truth is, we can't even begin to imagine what heaven's going to be like. It's beyond our comprehension. The Bible says there's nothing on earth to even compare to heaven. Every description of heaven is completely inadequate because heaven is going to be so much greater, so much better and beautiful, we can't even understand it with our finite little minds. But I want you to look at these verses here. And if you put your hope in God when you're stuck, if you stand the test, if you persevere, 1 Corinthians 9.25 contrasts our heavenly rewards with earthly trophies. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it, athletes do it, to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You know, you, you win the race, win the game, win the tournament, win the Super Bowl. You know, you get a blue ribbon, you get a gold medal, you get a trophy, you get a great big gaudy ring. But given enough time, those things don't last. All your trophies get trashed. You know, they used to give a crown of, of olive leaves in the Olympics. Even back in the early 1900s when they revived the Olympics, they used to give the athletes a, a crown of olive leaves. But they would decay and wither and fall apart so fast nobody wanted them, so they stopped giving them. You know, athletes train to win a prize that won't last. We train for a reward that will last forever. Look at 1 Peter 1.6. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, you're stuck in suffering and trials and grief for a little while. For a little while. James says, don't give up, look up. Don't give up, look up. See what's coming. Romans 8.18, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. The message paraphrase, there's no comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. 
No comparison between now and later. No comparison between earth and heaven. No comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. Don't throw away what's coming by giving up now. Instead, patiently persevere. Let God build your character and grab onto hope. But your hope's only as good as what you put it in. So what are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in some human leader to solve all your problems? Are you putting your hope in, in, in your spouse to meet all your needs? Are you hoping for a change of circumstances that will make you happy? Your hope's only as good as what you put it in. And a lot of people put hope in the wrong things. The only person who deserves your total hope and faith is Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't have a friendship with God like Abraham did, the good news is you can begin that friendship right today. God's ready. He's just waiting for you to call on him the same way that Abraham did, to put your faith and hope in him, specifically trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. I, I, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now to begin that relationship. Let's pray together. God, thank you that, that my problems are temporary. They, they didn't come to stay, they came to pass. And thank you that you'll use everything that happens in my life for good. Even suffering and trials and persecution can be used for good in my life. God, help me to remember that getting irritated doesn't help. It doesn't make the situation any better. It doesn't control the uncontrollable. So God, please give me the spiritual gift of patience. Help me to remember that turning to you pleases you. It makes you smile. God, help me to remember that Jesus Christ is coming back one day and, and that that blessed hope will change everything. And God, this isn't the end of my story. You know the end, and it's a good ending. So thank you, God. And thank you that you will reward me one day for my faith and hope in you. And so today, I ask your son, Jesus Christ, to come into my life, to forgive me of all my sins, and to make me a friend of God. God, we thank you that you promised to answer that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.